fans, and welcome into episode 114 of the Canuck Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And Doug, this is our first one in a while with uh, with no game flight and just our first episode in a while. So hey, welcome back. It's good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you too. I feel like we haven't actually caught up and had a, a beer together in what feels like ages. Uh, I went on a little bit of a trip. A uh, little vacation, and I know you went abroad for your vacation. Uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be back. It's nice to be recording again. And uh, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to uh, the off season, which is not too far away, to be honest. Well, I think we're. I mean, for us, we're already here, right? And uh, we, we will talk some Canucks on this episode, but I think we're going to probably talk, uh, spend more time talking about what's going on around the NHL right now and uh, with the playoffs. Uh, there's, there's a few things I think uh, we can talk Canucks-wise towards the end of the podcast, but uh, I think this is kind of like for us, even though it's postseason for uh, a lot of the NHL teams. After we've taken a few weeks off here, this is like preseason for us, right? Like trying to trying to find the groove again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, trying to you know get back in that role and figure out you know what you want to focus on when you're talking about topics and stuff like that what teams have disappointed you so far in these playoffs what teams have surprised you in these playoffs and uh how we're missing canuck hockey right now for sure maybe maybe next year at this time uh right now i got the uh the tampa florida game going right now it's one nothing lightning here in the third so uh we're going to be watching that as well as we record yeah, it looks like Tampa's got a power play. Uh, Bobrovsky with a big save there. And, yeah, I mean, Florida's on the brink. I, I didn't really see this coming, uh, that Florida would be down 3 nothing against Tampa. I believe they've won five games in a row going back to that uh, Toronto series. And, yeah, man, it's uh, it's been great. Just playoff sports in general right now with basketball, the hockey, uh, obviously the Premiership, uh, they don't have a playoff over there, but you know, championships are being won, and it's just it's that kind of time of year. It's like this time of year, and usually the beginning of October when yeah. football season's in full kick, and you got hockey coming back and NBA coming back. World Series, Those are kind of my two favorite World Series. Yeah, those are my two favorite kind of times in the year. I think the October definitely is a bit better, even though hockey's just getting started and basketball is just getting started. But uh, yeah, uh, this around this time and October are usually the two best times for sports. I'll also chuck, at least in North America. I'll also chuck March in there because uh, you've got uh, the full swing of all the leagues except for the NFL. That's why I probably put it third. Uh, but you've got baseball starting up, and of course you got March Madness, which you know I love as well. So I'd give uh, March the number three spot in there. But yeah, I'm with you. October and May are the, are definitely I think the best sports months uh, of the year. Here and then uh, we go into that kind of long off season that that you mentioned as well. But before we get into too much hockey chatter, Doug, I want to hear about your trip. Where'd you go? What was happening? Uh, yeah, so we uh, ended up getting a, a cabin on Airbnb up at uh, Apex Mountain in Penticton, which was actually pretty cool, man. Um, so just essentially played a bunch of board games and day drink, uh, and then took a trip to. Headley, which was a cool little town, actually. Uh, it was a big gold mining town back in the heyday in the, like, the 30s and 50s. And uh, you could see like literally up the mountain, they've built like these little mines and a uh, little almost like not really a house, but yeah, almost like a house on these mines where the miners used to live because they would literally have to just hike up the mine. And yeah, there's a cool little museum there. And it was just nice to get away and then played some cool board games, played Pandemic, which... You know, I'm sure since the pandemic has been uh, even more popular than it already was. And then uh, there's a, another cool game we got called The Haunting of Hill House, which is pretty cool. And yeah, it was just nice and relaxing and still snowing up there when we were up there as well. And it was just nice to get away. Uh, what about you, Pete? I know you uh, you went overseas for your little vacay. Yeah, man. It was uh, my first time first time leaving BC since the start of the pandemic. And uh, like the farthest I think I'd been since the pandemic was like the west coast of the island. I just I haven't been very far away. 
uh, which was fine. But uh, as you know, travel is something I always liked. So uh, it was uh, finally time to get over there. Uh, the timing was right. So I went over to the UK for 10 days and a night in Ireland in there. So uh, I was London, Edinburgh, Glasgow, and Dublin. It was really quick. I only had one night each in Glasgow and Dublin. But I was just visiting friends. I wasn't really there to see the city or anything. Um, always enjoyed just hanging out in London and Edinburgh as well. That's where my dad and my sister are and two cities I know pretty well. And you know, hit up a beer festival in London on the Saturday night, which was amazing. Uh, hit up the Arsenal Leeds game at Emirates. My dad got us tickets, so we went and checked that out. Uh, that was my third time going to the Emirates, and the first time I saw an Arsenal win, so that was pretty cool. Um, just, you know, all sorts of things. Just wandered around uh, East London and checked out the murals and hit speakeasies and went record shopping in Edinburgh. Um, just hit old pubs in Dublin, just crazy pubs in Glasgow it was yeah basically it was exactly that it was a lot of kind of drinking and whatnot and this was this is kind of my celebration because uh I ran the Vancouver Marathon back at the start of the month and I'd been pretty disciplined up till that and then after a marathon like I went pretty hard I did really well uh considering like what my goals were and the body just kind of is like okay I need to heal up here so I didn't bring any running gear or anything with me on the trip uh, I just did carry on which was fantastic um, and just kind of took it easy and uh, now I'm kind of back in the swing of things over here because I'm running the uh, the half marathon here next month which uh, should be a piece of cake after the marathon um, but it was just great to to do it again and I'll say a, a, a couple of takeaways from traveling again it was all pretty easy for me uh, check in uh, doing it online and having my Nexus pass and just doing carry on all the airports were super easy. I didn't have any issues. But the thing I noticed the most, at least about going to Europe, is like nobody takes cash anymore. They, it's just flat out like you you order a beer at, at the counter and they turn around with like the beer in the credit card machine. It's like they're not even expecting anyone to hand you cash. So I like took over there. I had a leftover 20 euros and 30 pounds from like the last time I was over there. And I didn't even spend it. I just kind of forgot I had it. <laughs> and it got to the point where, like, I was leaving the house. I didn't even bring my wallet. And I'm like, this is kind of the future of travel right here. I was using my my watch and my phone for, for everything. I had my Oyster card in London in the back pocket. But, like, Edinburgh has just changed their bus system. So you can just pay with a credit card, like, tap on when you get on. And so I didn't even need change for that. And that was always kind of a pain in the ass with where my sister is, is, like, getting change for the bus uh, if I want to take the bus into town. Um, but yeah, man, it was great to be back on the road. I'm heading back over to Europe again in a few months for uh wedding. Oh yeah. I had my stepbrother stag last night there as well, which was fun. We were down in Peckham in South London, which I've since found out is like one of the sketchiest neighborhoods in London, but it was awesome. We just hit a bunch of like video, <laughs> bunch of like video game bars and stuff like that. Uh, it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, man, it was good to be on the road. It was definitely uh, good to be back out there and see some of my favorite cities again. And some of my favorite people. Uh, Follow-up question for you there, Pete. Um, the murals. You mentioned checking out some of the murals in London. And obviously, you know, you've always been into like street art and graffiti and stuff like that. But now that you've been doing the mural tours here in Vancouver, have you kind of like made more of a conscious effort to go and kind of check out murals in place, m- murals, pardon me, in places in like London or like when you were in Scotland or that one night in Ireland? I don't know if you would have even had time. But is that something that like, you're a little bit more conscious to want to go see and do? Uh, as part of when you're traveling? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Ireland, yeah, I didn't really get to see any there. Um, uh, but I kind of made a focus in London because London is really one of the great mural graffiti street art cities of the world. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of already did that anyways. But uh, I think now doing the tours and talking about public art, I put more of, a, of an emphasis on doing it and, and experiencing it myself. And I also kind of, you know, I offset that with like in Scotland, I went to the National Gallery there, which was amazing. You know, you like, you just, it's free and you go in and you're looking at like, you know, Van Gogh's and all these like famous Scottish painters. And uh, it was, it was really cool. But um, the murals thing, certainly, uh, I, I enjoy uh, hunting those down and they're usually in cool parts of town as well. Like uh, Paris in the Belleville neighborhood, like an amazing neighborhood, but yeah, man, you could just wander around there and look at graffiti all day. It's it's incredible. Yeah, I've heard Paris is one of the best street art graffiti cities in the entire world. It's right up there with London, New York. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's a few places you hear that are just incredible. Japan, I've I've heard place uh, Tokyo. I heard has got a really good 
mural and street art um, in certain locations. So, yeah. Yeah, in certain locations there. It's not like, uh, you know, going into like an area of Paris or something that's just completely covered with graffiti. But uh, um, yeah. yeah, there's it's, it's certainly something uh, I like to hunt down. So, yeah, I just went out in East London by myself. I'm like, damn, I'm here. I got some time. I'm just going to go wander and check it out and then i uh it was on a sunday after the game and i, I found myself in this little part of of london kind of near liverpool street and moorgate station like kind of central london and uh it's that's usually a like a busy business area but on the weekend it's kind of quiet it's like feels like 28 days later you know like yeah you're just like where is everybody <laughs> and i was just looking around and i'm like i know this intersection like i've been here before and i'm like i think i know why i was here and i'm like i think if i push open this door right here and sure enough there's a bar down the stairs like a totally hidden speakeasy that i've been to once before uh and it was awesome it's just this great little spot uh low ceiling underneath uh an abandoned uh clothing store uh which and is yeah awesome that was one of my kind of like i'm gonna miss my train now but i'll just catch the next one that's really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of those uh, hidden speakeasies popping up here in Vancouver, too. Yeah, although ours, we, we say they're hidden, but then we put them on Daily Hive or something with exactly how to get into them. And I'm like, that's not yeah, really that's not yeah. really uh, true. But at least, yes, at least they're trying it. I would love to see more here, uh, true ones. But um, yeah, it's uh, the couple that we have, yeah, they're, they're getting there, but I'd still love to have some real secret ones pop up. Yeah, no, I agree. And hey, hey, that's no knock to the Daily Hive. Love the Daily Hive. I, I love the articles they put out there, but For sure. sometimes less is more. For sure. I mean, I, I use that site all the time. It's a, it's a great reference point. Um, Doug, uh, let's tell the people how to find us online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. The podcast is at Canuck Speak. We've been kind of leaving that site alone for the last little bit as we've been away, but well, we'll start getting everything going again, I think, here in the next little while. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug then and check out the playlist on Spotify. It's the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist. Another funky jam will be getting added to the playlist at the end of this episode. And Pete and I continue to grow this playlist uh, with every episode. So if you need something to get you through the work week, check out the playlist, the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist. It's been so long. Uh, I guess we should, uh, we should also talk about the last track that we added to it, shouldn't we? I don't even remember what it was. Yeah, I don't remember what it was either. Um, I know, I know. I oh, I remember now. I remember now. Jesus, been so long. I I edited that one. So, uh, the track I used was a really old Caribbean funk track called "Funky NASA" uh, by a band called The Beginning of the End, and I've always loved this track. And this was a track that uh, the first time I ever heard it used was uh, the Prodigy back back in like the late 90s did uh, this mix called the Dirt Chamber Sessions, which was awesome. And they totally broke it down at one point and played this song. And uh, it just like references New York and London right at, right at the bit that they brought in. And I was always like, who the heck is this? Because this was before you like you had all these devices on your phone that could like just train spot the songs. And uh, so it took me a long time to find what it was. And then eventually I did. I was like, oh, this is awesome. But yeah, just a Caribbean funk band called The Beginning of the End. Funky NASA Part 1. There's also Part 2. Um, which, and depending on what version they've re-recorded it a couple times, will fade out and then it'll come back in. The second part is more of an instrumental uh, than the second part. Uh, both awesome, both excellent. Uh, the beginning of the end. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool jam. I'd never heard the song before, uh, so it's definitely something I'm adding to my rotation. I want to check out more of their music, um, and that's what the whole playlist is about, right? It's you know trying to discover new music for for you and I, and also for the listeners out there. Hex, yeah. No, I, get, I listen to it at, at work quite a bit as well. And there's some there's some great jams on there. I got a few more lined up to, to chuck on there, but I believe you're editing the next couple here, so I got to wait my turn. Um, Doug, lots happening around the NHL. We're going to start with the, uh, the NHL uh, as a whole, and we'll finish off with some Canucks stuff because, uh, yes, it has been a little bit relatively quiet on the Canucks front. There's little bits of news here and there. Um, and we're still going to have all summer to speculate what to do. And once trades and whatnot happen, we'll have plenty of time to dissect those. Uh, so I think we're going to focus a little bit more on what, what we've seen so far. Uh, first round of the playoffs is over. Any kind of big surprises for you out of there, Doug? I mean, not really. Uh, I, I, I mean, I thought LA was going to beat Edmonton. I didn't think 
Edmonton's goaltending was going to stand up in that series, but it did. Um, I thought Minnesota would have at least gotten it to a game seven, uh, but St. Louis looks really good. Like full credit to St. Louis. I mean, they are still a very good club. Um, the Blues are a formidable team. I mean, they're. I think they're going to give Colorado uh, a good run here. And I know Bennington's out, uh, and there's a bit of controversy with that whole thing and what happened after the game. Alleged bottle throwing from Bennington at Kadri, which I think is totally despicable and bullshit. Um, but yeah, outside of that, like I wasn't really surprised. I mean, I, I will say that you know I thought the Leafs once they were up. Um, 3-1 in that series was it they had a 3-1 lead did they not or was it 3-2 okay. 3-2 still I thought the Leafs time. would pull it off and they still yeah. ended up losing and you know what like obviously we all hate the Leafs out here but I do feel bad for them for having as good of a year as they did this year and having to play the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round that's kind of unfortunate um and I, and I guess actually no the one shocker would be Pittsburgh uh, losing to the Rangers like they did. Uh, the Rangers were down 3-1, and they came back and won three consecutive games against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, kudos to Shesterkin. Shesterkin wasn't playing well. There was talk about him not starting, I think it was game three, and yet they still went out and started him in game three. And he turned the series around in a lot of ways. And I know there was an injury to Crosby. I believe he missed two games in that series. He did play game seven, however. Um, but yeah, that was a bit surprising, just how the series had started and then how it eventually ended. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised uh, personally that the Rangers won, but I am surprised how they won. When the Penguins went up 3-1 with that sort of experience, I, I do agree. I thought that point, I was like, ah, you know, Rangers might get one or two here, but they're not going to get three. And lo and behold, Minnesota was one, though, that I also was surprised with. I thought Minnesota had a chance to get to the Final Four. They're a big, heavy I agree. team. They're fast. And I thought they were going to be really hungry for it, given what's coming up with them with a, a cap crunch uh, as well. So um, I, I was kind of surprised by that one. Um, Leafs lightning. I mean, that was just uh, you just can't write this stuff anymore. <laughs> it's the, now the longest it's the longest playoff winning drought in the NHL right now. Now that Florida's won a series. Um, but, yeah, this is, it's just incredible that they find new ways to lose uh interesting um or good for them i think on that giordano deal i mean the leafs are really kind of trying to capitalize on players from the toronto area finishing their careers and giving them cheap deals to to play there i mean jason spezza was been doing it wayne simmons is doing it uh joe thornton did it patrick marlowe uh, he got into the lineup finally tonight yeah marlowe like you're seeing uh toronto leverage that which is you know i mean good for them that's a tool that they should completely have at their disposal vancouver does it with their farm team in abbotsford uh luring kind of those ahl players over uh but man uh toronto once again uh, and it sounds like they're gonna stand pat and kind of bring back the same uh, team for the most part there'll probably be some tweaks and changes but uh I, it, it did feel a little different the way they lost this time they tried they tried but they ran into a team that just knows how to win tampa bay's blue line is so, really good and their goaltending is phenomenal. Yeah, and look, Vasilevsky, he struggled, I think, in the beginning of that series, um, but he has been unbelievable since game six, essentially. And, I mean, you look at how he's playing in this Florida series as well. He's, I would say he's the early candidate for Conn Smythe, in my opinion. I know it's obviously way too early to start calling a Conn Smythe winner, but if I had to say at the end of the playoffs were to end today, I I would be giving it to Vasilevsky. And I know McDavid's been unbelievable. Uh, Evander Kane just had that hat trick. But I think Vasilevsky and what that guy does, and it just like, I don't know if there's a player on a team that can change the game like he can. And, you know, even when his team isn't playing at their full potential, he's their last hope of keeping the team from totally opening up the floodgates. And yeah, man, I mean, the kid, the, the kid's phenomenal. But but how good has McDavid been? I know you hate the Oilers probably more than the Leafs, but watching McDavid right now is unbelievable. Like, I mean, he was already next level. Like, he's up here, and then there's like a cluster of guys here. And it's undisputed that McDavid is the best player in the league, in the world. 
But man, he has just turned it up. Like 23 points in 10 games. He's scoring at a rate not seen since Mario Lemieux in 1992. That's insane. And that's probably my favorite non-Canuck player of all time, Mario Lemieux. Him and Nick Lidstrom would be my two all-time non-Canuck player, favorite players of all time. Um, no, it's absolutely incredible. Um, and look, they've got a 2-1 series lead against the Calgary Flames right now. But it all it's all for naught if they can't if they can't beat the flames, right? Um, McDavid is, is great. The other thing about McDavid's game is like, he's actually been really physical. I'm not saying he's ever shied away from the physicality, but he's actually like being extremely physical out there as well. And like, you know, initiating contact, which again, you don't usually see that from McDavid. It's more just his blazing speed, his, you know, North to South speed and his incredible stick handling that you obviously is just jaw dropping when you watch him play. But I agree, like the the rate that he's scoring at and, you know, the Oilers having this 2-1 lead against the Calgary Flames, it, it, it's incredible. And I think an Oilers-Lightning final would be really fun. Uh, I think it'd actually be a really fun um, Stanley Cup final. But uh, again, I, I, I can't see the Oilers, even if they do get past Calgary, I, I can't see them getting past either Colorado or St. Louis. I think both those teams just have so much more depth uh, and now I say that, and I, I believe Colorado's just lost Sam Girard for the entirety of the playoffs, which sucks. That's a massive loss on their back end. But people forget, like, the players that Colorado has on their defense. You know, they've got Eric Johnson. They've got a Jack Johnson. And I know Jack Johnson isn't the player that he used to be, but I mean, he's still a serviceable NHL defenseman. Um, so they've actually got quite a bit of depth, even after losing a player like Sam Girard. And that's why I think St. Louis and Colorado... Those are the two teams that I would be worried about if I'm Edmonton in the next round just because of the depth they have. Jack Johnson's in the lineup tonight. He's the one who drew in. I mean, yeah, as a seventh defenseman, you know, that's a good spot for him right at this stage in his career is is a number seven defenseman. So he, he is in the lineup. Um, yeah, let's um, let's talk a little bit about that, and we can go back to McDavid and that whole series. But uh, the, the Bennington and Gerrard both going out Two big losses, obviously, for their teams. Uh, and you got Huso now, who's got to go in net for St. Louis, and you got Jack Johnson replacing Sam Gerrard. Uh, I think the, as that is a trade-off, I think that's harder for the Blues. Uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how the teams react to this. Sam Gerrard, broken sternum. He's not coming back this season. That's uh, that's a rough-sounding one. Um, and uh, I'll probably be flipping it over to the, that game once, uh, once we get to the end of this Battle of Florida over here. But it's going to be interesting to see both teams a man down man st louis's depth is still just staggering to me up front uh, what is it nine 20 goal scorers that's insane yeah it reminds me of that i think it was like rock'em sock'em three or rock'em sock'em two i remember having yeah. vhs and yep. don cherry yeah with the bruins it was like the cartoon version of him with like the long neck or whatever yeah and yeah. he said in that in that rock'em sock'em i want to say it was three but it might have been two he said the, his his most outside of winning the Stanley Cup, of course, but his the thing he was most proud of as a coach is I think he said he had 12, 20 goal scores one year with the Boston Bruins. Yeah. And that was his most that was that was one of his all time favorite accomplishments as a coach. Outside of winning the cup, of course. Um or did he win a cup? He did win a cup, right? Yeah, he won a, he won a cup. Yeah, I thought he won the one. But uh, yeah, having 12, I think it was 12, 20 goal scorers, which was incredible. And that was also back in an era when the game was much more wide open um, than it is by today's standards. And the fact that St. Louis had nine 20 goal scorers this year. The other thing, and I was talking about this, I forget who I was talking about this with, but I was talking uh, about this with somebody, how St. Louis was basically begging Seattle to take Tarasenko off their hands at the expansion draft. I know. And I just can't, it's crazy. I can't believe, yeah, I know. And I'm, it's crazy that Seattle didn't take him. And then you look at the season Tarasenko has had. Like, it has been unbelievable. And I believe there was even rumors that the Canucks were somewhat interested in getting Tarasenko. I don't know what the cost would have been. But, I mean, the, the comeback season Tarasenko has had this year, I don't know who else like would be the comeback player of the year outside of Tarasenko. He's been unbelievable for the Blues. And the Blues, they actually very much remind me of the 2011 Boston Bruins team. 
They play a, they play on that yeah, edge yeah, of like that. almost being dirty. They have a goalie who most people in the league hate and despise in Bennington. And I know he's out now, but you know, Bennington and Tim Thomas, they they have very similar vibes in my op- opinion. Um Yeah, a blue a blue line by committee. A blue line by committee, exactly. Um but yeah, I mean, they very much remain, you know, O'Reilly is the Bergeron essentially of, you know, the yeah. Blues, right? They Tarasenko's they very- the Pasternak. Yeah, I don't think. Well, Pasternak they didn't have Pasternak team, then. Sorry, no, they didn't. Sorry, that's Pasternak. They had Sagan though. After. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sagan came in as like, uh, yeah, he was a rookie that year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're just one of these teams. They 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 give me big time 2011 Bruins vibes, and I I mean that hit on Girardi, uh, you know, was I think it was very questionable. And then obviously, you know, Bennington going down. I don't think there was any intention there, and I know Kadri does have a history, especially in the playoffs. But I actually don't think there was any intent on Kadri to injure Bennington like that. Um No. It, it's it's oh, just funny on this on the same Tampa. night. Yeah, there there it is. Look at that. Wow. Empty netter. That's it. Florida swept, man. Yeah. Didn't didn't see that. And Vasilevsky again, there's twenty two seconds left on the screen here, but man Vasilevsky, big game performer, inc- incredible. Another shutout in an elimination game. I don't know how I many mean, times f- he's done this now. Florida's had forty nine shots tonight, and Vasilevsky's oh. shut the door. Man, the guy, the guy, the guy is incredible. Like incredible. unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, but yeah, sorry. Going back to the St. Louis, Colorado series, uh, and then there's and again, I'm going to say alleged that after the game, Bennington, who's now out of the series through a water bottle post-game interview, during Kadri's uh, post-game interview. I mean, there's no need for that uh, in the game whatsoever. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think I – mean, I know he's injured, so it doesn't really matter. But I, I, if I was the league, I would retroactively suspend him uh, for a couple of games heading into next year personally. Yeah, for sure. I I agree with that. Um, I think uh, one thing, uh, Tarasenko as well, career high in points this year, 82 uh, – and you just kind of look at what he's done the last couple of years. Yeah, he was injured. He only played 24 games in the previous year, and he put up 14 points. The year before that, he had 10 points in 10 games. But he hadn't been healthy since the 18-19 season. And even that year, he put up 68 points in 76 games. This year, he put up 82 in 75. He played one less game, and he put up 14 more points. So from a, a, a cap perspective, from a, for a guy like Tarasenko, you're looking at a guy who had – in Seattle's case, he had seven and a half million for two more years. Uh, and they're like, yeah, you know what? That's 30 year old guy that cap hit. He's he's only put up what 24 points or something over the last couple of years. I guess they just saw it as not worth it. And Tarasenko just kind of came back and said, hey, fuck all y'all. I can still play and has his best year ever. But you kind of look back to what I feel like Seattle made a lot of mistakes with uh, what they were doing. They really prioritized keeping cap space, which, hey, you know, maybe maybe that'll work. I mean, they do have cap space for next year to kind of play around with. But yeah, I, I still can't believe they let Tarasenko go. And I can't believe Vasilevsky just shut out Florida and uh, stopped 49 shots, man. And that's uh, that's insane. Now six straight wins for the Lightning. So I guess we don't need to discuss that series now. That's uh, that's uh, Lightning going to the Final Four again, man. This is uh, quite the run for this team. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this. I think we talked about this in the last episode. Is the last team to win, you know, three championships in a row? Was it the Oilers? No, the Oilers never won three in a row. They won five and seven, but the last team to win three okay. in a row was was the Islanders. So it was the Islanders in then. A row. And then before that Islanders was the Canadians, obviously. Yeah, the Habs would have done it in there. Um, I think they did it twice check. in the seventies, didn't they? I know Henry Savard has eleven cups, or Henry, uh, <laughs> sorry, not Henry Savard, Henri. Uh, Henry Richard, yeah. Henri Richard, not Savard. Um, I know he has eleven cups, so uh, it's it's quite possible. Um, but uh, yeah, it would have been the Islanders. But the Oilers did five and seven. Um, but still, this is ten straight series wins now for the Lightning. Um, and it's uh, that's that's also pretty incredible. Yeah, and again, like this era of Russian goaltending, like Vasilevsky, Shosturkin. You've got there was that Russian kid that uh, Nashville drafted a couple years ago who everyone thought was going to be the next great goalie. I mean, the Russians are dominating the goaltending. And they, you know, what seems to have been the last, I don't know, 
six, seven years. I mean, we saw this with the Finns for a while. The Finnish goalies were dominating for a while. And obviously the Canadian goalies. But, I mean, who's been the last great Canadian goalie? I mean, it's I guess... It's been a while. Ottinger's American, while, isn't he? Jeez, uh, I'm not sure. I think so. I don't remember him ever playing for, for Canada. Um, but uh, this would be a good time as well to congratulate the Danes today who for beating Canada. It's the yeah. first time ever that Denmark has beat Canada at the World Championships. And look, you know, I mean... I obviously want Canada to win, but the World Championships is a tournament where I do really enjoy seeing other teams have success in this. You know, Kazakhstan won today to stay up. That's three years in a row now that they're playing in the big tournament. And it's better for hockey to have a lot of these kind of, you know, fringe teams. Like for the longest time, it was like, you know, the same six teams that were always good, right? It was Canada, USA, the Soviet Union slash Russia, the Czech Republic, Czechia, Czechoslovakia, whatever, uh, Sweden and Finland. And then eventually Czechoslovakia split, so you get Slovakia and putting out some players. And then you could kind of start to argue that Switzerland is now in the top eight. Now you can also argue that Germany is kind of making it a top nine. And then you have Denmark and Austria kind of on the fringes and Latvia. Uh, it's better for hockey to have more teams involved. So hey, congrats to the Danes. And I've seen uh, the the Danes play Canada once uh, as well at a tournament over in Sweden uh, and their fans were great. So uh, yeah, good on them. Isn't great Britain in the world championships as well. Like I swear I saw them. Hey, that's they weird. Are. Yeah, yeah. That's weird yeah. to see. It's good to see. I mean, they had uh, that kid Liam Kirk get drafted to the NHL. So uh, again, it's another one that's, it's good to see uh, the growth of, of the game a bit more, but yeah, going back to Canadian goalies, I mean, uh, I mean, Carey Price in his heyday, maybe Marc-Andre Fleury in his heyday, but right now uh, it's it's kind of tough to tell. Jake Ottinger is uh, American. He's from Minnesota. Um, so it, it's right now, like, uh, yeah, it's tough to say who's, a, who's the best Canadian goalie out there. And uh, I, I can't really think off the top of my head. It'll certainly, if there's ever a, an international tournament again, it'll certainly be the question mark surrounding Team Canada because it won't be their forwards or their defense. Oh, hey, it looks like a uh, St. Louis goal uh, over there. Um, yeah, I think it was Perron, David Perron, maybe. Jeez, he's, ha- he's having a year too, eh? I saw someone tweeted this out, and I wish I could give them, um, I wish I could give them credit for it, but Perron's played on, I think, they said he's played on like six or seven different teams in his career, maybe five or six, but he's only ever signed a contract with the St. Louis Blues. Interesting. And he signed, he's been there, I think, on three occasions as well. Well, he was drafted by the Blues. I believe he was the player taken right after the Canucks took Patrick White. Hmm. I'm pr- I, I think we miss. I, I, I think that's a swing and a miss when you look back on it. Well, hey, we did get uh, Christian Erhoff in that deal. Um, yes, that's true. We did. And Brad Lukovic. Hell yes, good old Brad Lukovic, who was actually a, a serviceable. Yeah, serviceable. Yeah, yeah, I remember that great. Dan Rahimi was the other player going that way. I'll never forget that deal with the Sharks. That was great. Yeah, um, but yeah, just incredible. Like the guy's had an incredible career, and he's going to go down as like one of the like not all time great Blues, but he is going to be like one of the like you know benchmark St. Louis Blue players. I believe he was on their Stanley Cup win, uh, winning team too, wasn't he? Yeah, I believe so. Um, I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, he would have been uh, definitely. I've just pulled up his uh, history here, but yeah, you're right. Three times he signed with uh, with the Blues. The Blues traded him to Edmonton, and uh, then Edmonton traded him to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh traded him to Anaheim. He signed with St. Louis. Seattle claims him, or sorry, not Seattle. Vegas claims him, and then um, he signs with St. Louis again. So uh, kind of crazy. And two of those. Times The two times he did sign with St. Louis, this is really interesting as well. Uh, After his initial one, both of them were on July 1st, so the opening day of free agency. So he, both times, uh, 2016 and 2018, he signed the opening day of free agency with the Blues as well. David Perron, man, what a career this guy's had. And again, he could have been a Canuck, but you know what? I mean, that's goes without saying the Canucks have never been consistent drafters. Hey, speaking of guys who could have been uh, Kachuk, uh, Canucks, uh, Kachuks, uh, <laughs> Matthew Kachuk, um, the whole thing with uh, with Brady Kachuk, I, I tweeted about this. Man, I love seeing this, and I really wouldn't have a problem. Uh, and I mean, I know Quinn Hughes, uh, we would all just love to see a little bit of emotion out of the guy anyways, but can you imagine Quinn Hughes like 
wearing a devil's shirt and like being in the crowd and chugging beers and high five. And if his brother was playing, uh, like I would have, I would have no issue with that. Um, I love seeing this thing with, uh, Brady Kachuk. Um, it's great to see any NHL players with personality and creating stories. Um, but I, I like this. What about you? I love it too. I think it's great. I mean, it's not like he's walking around in a Calgary flames Jersey. Like I could understand why, the Ottawa Senators or fans would have an issue with that. He's not wearing a Calgary Flames Kachuk jersey. And yeah, why would he not cheer on his brother? Like, I just, I don't know. It just, I don't get why people would be all up in arms about it. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, the other one, I mean, I know you're talking about Hughes, but imagine if Daniel and Henrik didn't play on the same team their entire career together. And one of them was going on a run for a Stanley Cup. You're telling me Daniel or Henrik, whatever one wasn't in the cup final, wouldn't be in the stands cheering them on? Of course they would. I'm sure they wouldn't be chugging beers and high-fiving people as they walk up. doesn't seem like it's their no. personality, but not, still. Not at all. <laughs> I, yeah, I, lo- I love to see it. I think it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, that Battle of Alberta, or as you know, I was saying to you before recording, I like calling it the Battle of East Van because you got Kane against Lucic uh, in there as well. Um, but this series, I know we talked a bit about McDavid earlier and just uh, what he's doing, uh, which is insane. Dry Saddle is second in the league right now in playoff points, which doesn't really come as any surprise either. Uh, but man, it, I, I also made a joke last night about how the Con Smythe Trophy right now. You know, you're talking about Vasilevsky. I think you should give it to Chris Tanev right now. He for he, I mean, the fact that he's not there right now. I mean, Calgary's blue line I think is pretty good, but they're really noticing the lack of Chris Tanev and what I'm seeing at a Markstrom right now, Markstrom obviously is not being at his best this year, but this reminds me of Markstrom in Vancouver when he plays too much, you know, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like Markstrom gets those stretches or he had those stretches in Vancouver where he's just like on fire, on fire, on fire. And then he just comes out and he's just like, he just kind of looks everything about his game looks off. And the only way he kind of gets uh, back into it is resets. And you can't really do that right now uh, with, with the playoffs. But I just wonder, like, what it's going to take to kind of get him reset. Because to me, he's kind of got that look in his eyes of when Markstrom plays too much. I agree. I, I mean, I I don't know exactly how many games Markstrom played this year. I believe it was 55, maybe even a little bit more than that. But he definitely looks like he's played too many games this season. And, I mean, he's an older goaltender, right? He's in his 30s now. He's had a couple of injuries, a couple of knee injuries uh, the last few years. And, yeah, he just after having such a great regular season and I know he was on fire with all those shutouts early on but he he just he looks like he's played too many games and that's something that kind of worried me if the Canucks did make the playoffs this year about their chances was that Thatcher Demko played too many games as well and it's just you've got to be able to find that fine line of balancing the amount of games and your goaltender plays because you're going to need them in these really tough playoff games and when your goalie has starting to show fatigue in round two of the playoffs well like you're only halfway to the stanley cup so you're probably in some trouble markstrom played 63 regular season games uh which wow. is tied for fourth in uh the league with andre vasilevsky both one behind thatcher demko uh saros played the most at 67 and hellebuck at 66 but we've we, like you know we saw it here like you said with vancouver with thatcher demko he didn't even start the last three games of the year if the canucks were in the race uh he could have started all those and he could have finished with 67 as well tied with saros but Demko is obviously quite a bit younger. What is he, six or seven years younger than Markstrom? Markstrom's 32 right now. Uh, so he should have a little bit more in it. But I, I just think now, you know, at 63 games for Markstrom plus the 10 playoff games, like, again, this is a lot for him. He has never in his life played 63 games in a season. And now he's up to 73. Like, the highest he had before that was 60 games. And he did that back-to-back years with the Canucks in 17-18 and 18-19. Uh, and he hasn't done that since then. He's played 43 in each of the last two years. And then to jump to 63 and now 10 playoff games, I mean, that's not the only reason. Calgary just, I mean, their top line just has was invisible, I thought, the last game uh, as well. Um, but you got to think that they're going to come back hard. Uh, but again, you know, you're never in trouble until you lose at home and Calgary has lost at home. Edmonton hasn't yet. So, uh, this game four, man, I think this is going to be huge. Uh, and there was a stat I saw somewhere that anytime Calgary and Edmonton have played, whoever won game three, won the series, which means absolutely nothing. But 
game four is huge uh, on so many levels, obviously. I mean, do the Oilers go back to Calgary with a 3-1 lead? And I, I want to see more fight out of Calgary because they don't look like the same Calgary team right now. And uh, again, it's not just Markey, but not having Tanev. Uh, and they haven't been able to, at home, they weren't able to get that matchup that they wanted uh, against McDavid. That really hurt them. Yeah, the other thing with Calgary is their top line was struggling against Dallas. Um, and obviously they pulled out the victory there, but yeah, that top line, uh, of Goudreau, I believe Lindholm and Kachuk, uh, they just, they haven't been good. You know what I mean? They, they've been very inconsistent. I shouldn't say they haven't been good. They've had spurts. Obviously Kachuk scored a hat trick, uh, in these playoffs, but they just, they, they haven't been consistent and that's what it takes to, you know, get all the way to a cup final is you need to be consistent. And they just haven't been consistent. And then Sean Monaghan, like he's injured, is he not? Like I haven't heard anything about Sean Monaghan in this year, in either series, really. I'm assuming he's injured, but I could be wrong. I'm not. And then the other player, the other player that I think they're actually really missing, and I was actually thinking about this earlier today when I was watching that Tampa Florida game. Even though Florida got just got swept by the Lightning, uh, is Sam Bennett. I, I mean, imagine what. Daryl Sutter could have done with a player like Sam Bennett if he was coaching Sam Bennett for the last few years, last couple of years. I think you could have seen, you know, a 25 goal, maybe even a 30 goal score out of Sam Bennett. Um, and just, you know, the, how yeah. physical that kid can be. Yeah, I mean, Florida did a great job with reclaiming players. Yeah, Monaghan got shut down for hip surgery. Uh, that's what it was uh, this year. They, they had to shut him down. Um, and yeah, to be fair, I mean, Calgary, it's weird. Calgary scores nine goals in game one and zero goals in game three. That's that's weird. Um, also want to give a shout out to Markstrom for getting nominated for the Vesna. I mean, he played a lot of games, but uh, he is nominated along with Shesterkin and, and Saros, all European goalies. Uh, again, kind of going back to what we were saying. I mean, I think Shesterkin's going to get this. But uh, again, you know, congrats to Markstrom. Um, but he's certainly the oldest of those three guys as well. And again, all three of those guys right at the top uh, of the league in games played uh i believe shesterkin actually played the least out of all of them which again goes to show uh yeah shesterkin only played 53 games which is quite a bit less sorrow 67 and markstrom 63 so i mean it's it does go to show having some backups in there uh, certainly does help and that's something i like to think vancouver is going to do next year with spencer martin yeah, definitely. Vancouver needs to do that with Spencer Martin. And just going back to Shesterkin and the Vesna and Markstrom and all that and Saros. I mean, the fact that Shesterkin's also been nominated for the Hart Trophy, I think it's all but guaranteed he's going to win the Vesna this year. Um, I I feel Matthews is probably, just with the goal totals, he'll probably get the Hart. But Shesterkin, I mean, again, there's no way he's not going to be nominated and win the Vesna. Obviously, he's nominated. There's no way he's not going to win the Vesna this year. Um, kind of sidestepping out of the playoffs for a bit. Um, but speaking of the Vesna, the trophy I find really interesting this year is the Norris Trophy. Who would you give the Norris Trophy to this year? The, the nominees I mean, are Hedman, Yossi, and Makar. That's a pretty awesome one, two, three again. Well, it's yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's hard to say that we don't appreciate Victor Hedman when he's won back-to-back Stanley Cups. He, I believe, won a. Con Smythe? No, I think it was Kucherov and Vasilevsky. I don't think Hedman won a Con Smythe in either of those. I don't believe. Um, but to me, it's a two-horse race between Makar and Roman Yossi. And I mean, I think given the point totals and who Makar gets to play with and who Yossi doesn't get to play with, I would I would lean Yossi personally. But it's yeah, very I'm- close. I'm with you. It's insane that the, all three of them were over a point a game. Uh, Yossi had 96 points this year, Makar 86, and Hedman 85. Um, Yossi also had the best point per game out of those three at 1.2. Um, and I think Yossi single-handedly almost, well, him and Saros, uh, got Nashville into the postseason. So I'm with you on that one. But, man, uh, three defensemen getting over 80 points. Fox and Carlson, that's uh, John Carlson, with over 70 points. And then you had Riley, Latang, and Hughes over 60 points, all of them at 68. Uh, and pretty incredible offensive year for defensemen. Nice to see Quinn Hughes uh, in there as well, tied for sixth in scoring. Uh, he actually did it in less games than Latang and Riley as well. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm giving it to Yossi. Um, also Rick bonus over in Dallas, uh, 
ties to the Canucks, he hangs it up as well. So Dallas, among other things, they're looking for a new coach. So, so again, all the best, uh, Rick Bonus, uh, and, and you know, glad we had him here in Vancouver for a little while. Yeah, and I think there was lots of speculation that Bonus was going to step away uh, at the end of that series and probably at the end of this season. Uh, so it's not really a surprise. Um, and then obviously the other thing is there's been a few coaching changes we didn't touch on. Obviously, Barry Trotz got fired in New York and the Vegas Golden Knights let go of Peter DeBoer. So there's two big name free agent coaches available. So, I mean, Dallas, obviously Mike Babcock is still out there as well. So Dallas is going to, you know, they'll they'll probably, that's probably one of the reasons why I think Bonus made his decision so quickly to not hold up the process for Dallas to try and find and hire their next coach. Barry Trotz won't be unemployed for long. I know he's uh, already being interviewed with the Flyers or is interviewing with the Flyers. And uh, I know Winnipeg is interested as well. So uh, it won't be it won't be long for him to find a place. Hey, um, coaches, want to talk about ours? Want to switch uh, gears to a bit of Canucks here? Uh, we've been chatting about the league for uh, and, and our trips for quite a while here, but we should get in some Canucks talk here as well. Um, Let's start with uh, coaching, though, because in the past three and a half weeks, there's all this scuttlebutt about Bruce Boudreaux and how he might not be coming back. And Bruce has said, no, that was never an issue. That was uh, just rumblings that came out of he didn't know where he didn't want to point fingers. But he said he was always interested in coming back. He's coming back. But a lot of other changes, the Canucks continue to make changes with the organization. Scott Walker was by his own choice uh, with retirement. But Kyle Gustafson, the another assistant coach, isn't coming back. Uh, Daryl Seward uh, with a video coach. Uh, Roger Takahashi even not coming back. Like There's a whole bunch of changes. So the Canucks continue to do some fine-tuning, and uh, there's a couple spots open. It's going to be interesting to see who comes back. Uh, Brad Shaw and Jason King are both coming back as well for the Canucks. So it's going to be interesting to see where they decide to fill out their coaching and video staff and everyone else. Yeah, I mean... Starting with the Bruce Boudreaux thing, I think obviously he and I'm sure his agent and a lot of fans thought he deserved a proper contract extension. He's kind of going into this next season as a quote-unquote lame duck coach, um, which is unfortunate, but I understand the management group not wanting to commit long-term to him, um, despite how great of a regular season once Boudreaux was hired, the Canucks had. Um, Scott Walker, obviously that one sucks. Uh, people don't re- know if it's obviously personal issues or obviously he took that puck to the head and he was having vertigo-like symptoms. So it could still be stemming from that as well. And he's an East Coast boy. So, you know, he probably wants to be closer to his family on the East Coast. Roger Takahashi, that's a bit of a shocker. I mean, he's been with the Canucks organization. I mean, before the 2011 Stanley Cup run, like he's been with this club for, I want to say, over a decade at least, maybe even two de- close to two decades. So that was a bit of a shocker. Um, but again, like that is an aspect of this team that hasn't changed in many years, and maybe it is time for a change. I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, the Canucks, touch wood, have stayed relatively healthy these last couple of years, but I know there was a time when the Canucks were seemingly always getting injured. And people were questioning, you know, what the strength and conditioning were doing, you know, were they training too hard in training camp or even just their off ice training that was causing some of these injuries? Uh, I don't know. So obviously it sucks to see a guy like Roger Takahashi go since he's been with the team for so long. And by all accounts, he's an upstanding guy. But you know what? Changes, I guess, this management group thought needed to be made. And let's see where it goes from there. Yeah, I'm just glad Bruce is back, um, and I'm with you. We'll see see where it goes. And, you know, you speak of injuries. Um, this is something, you know, I read about uh, recently. I think it was in The Athletic, uh, about Michael Furland and how there's actually value with Michael Furland now. Uh, and, again, that wasn't a training or conditioning. That was that's concussion-related. Um, but there's actually value to trading his cap hit. So that's going to be interesting because I'm sure the Canucks will love to get out of having – a lot of that LTIR issues and if you could get something for it, it'd be interesting to see where, uh, what they do with him. But I'd be very surprised if Michael Furland is actually on the Canucks payroll to start the year. I mean, a team like Minnesota could really use that sort of extra flexibility with the cap considering what they have in buyouts. I mean, that was Jim Benning's plan the whole time, right? Playing 4D chess with that Michael Furland contract. <laughs> 
There it is. At the end of the day, it'll be worth a, a fourth round pick or something. But uh, uh, that's going to be um, an interesting one to watch. Um, I, I think in future episodes, we're obviously going to get into a lot more hypotheticals and what do you do because uh, we're, we're definitely going to be seeing a, a, some moves this season. But obviously, it's a little early to kind of really gauge what they all are and where we go. But I think we're going to save a lot of that for future episodes um also while we were away back uh, i guess it's like geez three weeks ago now or a little bit less than that we had the draft lottery no surprise the canucks end up exactly where we thought they'd be at 15th i think they had a 98 percent chance of picking 15th uh that's where they do uh end up uh, and uh, so i'm not really surprised by that um what do you have have you had a chance to kind of look at players that you think are going to be available around 15 yet or uh i've only just myself i've only just kind of recently started to kind of do some research but uh, have you done any yourself i have yeah there's a few players that are interesting uh the one name is the kid playing in the Swe- swedish league who i believe is austrian marco casper he's a kid that i think a lot of people are keeping a close watch on and he's a guy that i think could be there for the Canucks at 15. Uh, there's a couple of defensemen. There's a, uh, what's his name? It's like Pavel Mintyakov. That's the one. Uh, so yeah. there was Rick Dollywall, I believe, reported on the Dolly, Donnie and Dolly show that the Canucks are interested in him, but the likelihood of him still being there at 15 is pretty slim. Um, and then there's a couple of these uh, American players. There's a, a winger. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I had uh, the kind of like mock draft in front of me earlier. Um, but there's a winger who was slated to go a lot higher, um, but he's for, had a pretty rough season this year. So he's he slipped a bit. Let me just uh, – Lambert is his name. Brad Lambert. He's oh, Brad Lambert. He, yeah, he's uh, he's not American though. He's uh, – I believe he's Finnish. Um, he's like oh, Finnish-American yeah, he or something. Yeah, he, he plays over there. Yeah, he's a guy um, I know that uh, has been kind of – kind of bounced around there i know frank nazar is another one like uh and connor geeky is another guy who's playing in winnipeg um that i think the canucks would be looking at i think it's more likely than not that the canucks take a forward with their first round pick um just because outside of like the top few picks there's not really a right hand d uh until you kind of start looking at players in the second round i just don't see the canucks deciding hey we're going to take another left hand d and i do believe they're going to take the best player available but i think if the best player available right now is a forward or another left d i think they're going to take a forward this time yeah i agree they definitely need more center depth in the organization uh connor geeky is a big kid and he's got some skill i i think if he's there for winnipeg at 14 they're going to probably grab him just makes sense he's play already playing in their backyard um I, the, honestly, the one thing I really, really hope the Canucks are able to do is actually acquire a second round pick because I think there yes. is some good right shot defensemen in the second round or, or slated to go in the second round. I mean, these the, these mock drafts keep changing, but there's a kid I really like, uh, Elias Selmonson, a uh, Swedish player. He's a right-hand shot defenseman. He was considered to be you know, a, a top-tier defenseman pick this year, but he struggled this year in the Swedish league and he's most mock boards. He's mid second round pick. So he's a guy I would love to see the Canucks get if they can acquire a second round pick again, which I mean, yeah, I guess it just depends on what the cost is, right? There's also lots of speculation that the Canucks could trade back and that could be a way that they acquire a second round pick. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not against that really. I mean, uh, if, if you were to be able to do that and maybe drop a few spots and, and take a second, I mean, hey, that's that's a, that's a good deal for the Canucks. So it's certainly something to look at. It's going to be really fascinating to see uh, what happens leading up to the draft, though, um, with, with what the Canucks do and if they try and acquire picks or if they target picks for the 2023 draft. Getting a second back would be great, um, but I think there you know there's also the whole like they've, they've got so many different lanes they got to go because you got to shed salary as well you gotta you got to figure out what you're doing with all, all these forwards uh that you've got coming up with um you know and i do like like i've said all along i think it all comes back to the jt decision and i think it's going to start with jt and what you do from there yeah i mean it's not really this off season that the canucks have a lot of cap problems it's the next off season when you have horvat and miller both pending yeah. ufas that's the off season and then right after that i believe pd's up again so that's yeah. where you really have to start figuring out you know what your long-term plan is and who's part of that long-term plan 
And again, I know we'll save, you know, senseless speculation for a later episode, but I'm just going to bring this up because I've seen it make the rounds, at least in my feeds, this idea of the Canucks trading JT Miller for William Nylander. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, it, it, I understand why it makes sense, but, um, um, I don't, I don't know. I think, uh, Nylander's salary right now, I think it's higher than Miller's is right now. So I don't know how that would actually really help them. Um, I got to look up, uh, see where Nylander's at, but, uh, I mean, I like the idea of getting younger, but, man, I really like JT Miller. I think, uh, geez, it's, uh, it's a tough one. I mean, Nylander, Four years younger, but yeah, he's got a higher cap hit. Like, I don't know how the Canucks can absorb a $6.9 million cap hit right now. Yeah, but how much longer is Nylander signed for, right? That's kind of the thing, is he signed yeah. longer, so you two, don't have to worry. Two more years Two more years after this one, and then he's UFA. So he'd be UFA the same time that PD would be coming up. So yeah, that's uh, a bit of an I issue. Twenty the 24-25 season. Um, so I think oh, okay. maybe it's the year after, the year after that, but still... I mean, you know, yeah, entertain all offers, but is that really what the team is prioritizing? I think if you're trading Miller this offseason, you're really using it to uh, prioritize cap space and acquire young assets. I think that would be what they're going to do. And again, a lot of it also comes back to what happens with Andre Kuzmenko, because uh, I think that's obviously the Canucks are a finalist in on him. Um, and of course, if you free up, if you do trade Miller, that frees up five and a half million off the books next year. Maybe you can go out and, and, and get a replacement or maybe just keep that cap space for now and start to actually have cap space. And if you do that, you have cap space and you trade Furland, all of a sudden we're not in this position that we always seem to be where bonus overages and everything carries over next year a la Hughes and Pedersen and Halak you know I mean we'd finally be out of LTIR so those bonuses don't carry over well I think you got Holpe and Vertanen on uh some of those uh buyout contracts as well well those those are buyouts not bonuses oh um, sorry yeah you're right okay. yeah yeah, the and the buyouts would still carry over, obviously, but uh, uh, the bonuses uh, you'd be getting out of uh, that LTIR space where you, the bonuses always roll over. So Kozmenko would be, uh, I mean, geez, Kozmenko, I'd, I'd be excited to get him over. I mean, uh, what is that? I think in one year, nine hundred fifty thousand dollar deal is what you can sign him for, uh, and that's it. It's just a one year deal. Um, but man, I mean, I'd, I'd be willing for that kind of money to take a chance on the guy and. Like I said, get another Russian in there. He actually played with uh, Pod Colson as well. They both played for Ska over in uh, the KHL. Yeah, I, I don't know much about him. Uh, obviously, you know, once his name has been brought up as a potential signing for the Canucks, I've kind of looked a bit into him. He's 26, I believe. Um, yep. So he's a little bit older, but yeah, I mean, by all accounts, he's he's a good player. Uh, I think people say that he's actually got a decent two-way game as well. He's not just like all offense my, I guess one of the things I'm concerned about Kuzmenko actually signing with the Canucks would be, is he, he's got one year to kind of prove how much he's worth in this league. You know, are playing with the Canucks, I mean, maybe, but like, are, is that the team that he can really make bank with? You know what I mean? Or could he go sign that one year deal to go play with Colorado, light it up in their top six, and then get a monster contract to go sign with whoever he wants with? I don't know. Um, so that's that's one little bit of a concern about the Canucks being able to sign him. But I, mean, I think it makes sense. And I think if they are able to sign him, that also potentially gives them a little bit more leverage to be able to trade one of their other forwards to free up some cap space. You know, maybe that's a Connor Garland. Maybe that's a Brock Besser. Maybe they make the move on JT Miller sooner rather than later, even though Miller and his agent are saying all the right things that they love Vancouver and they want to re-sign here. Um, but if you can add a player like Kuzmenko and he's producing, um, you know, that could free up, you know, or give you a little bit of flexibility to maybe trade off an asset and require some uh, younger assets along with some cap space. Yeah, it, it it certainly gives you more options and and it fits into what the team needs to do. So Kuzmenko watches on. It sounds like the Oilers and Knights are also in the mix so it's a battle of pacific teams so uh i mean to keep them off of other teams at that price as well uh that would be quite nice um doug any kind of final thoughts here before we jump into the free pour i mean we got a little bit of canucks chatter in there we touched on what's going on i, I kind of like that we got hockey games going on as we're doing this as well um just when's the draft again man <laughs> that's uh it just can't come quick enough 
Yeah, when is the draft? I know it's all different this year. I feel uh, like and it's the 12th of July. That's kind of the date that's in my head, but I could be you're, wrong. You're, you're close. The 7th. I think free agency might be the 12th. Okay, maybe that's it. Yeah, okay. That would make maybe a little bit more sense. 13th. 13th is uh, okay. free agency. So I knew it wasn't. I knew they were both after Canada Day uh, this year. But uh, yeah, it's the 7th for the draft and then the 13th for free agency so a little bit later uh which is of course that's an extra couple of weeks for canucks fans to really work themselves into a tizzy with everything as well <laughs> all right doug let's uh take this into the free pour All right, it's that time of the episode for the Free Pour Open Floor segment. And I want to talk about a documentary that premiered this past Friday uh, about a legendary comedian, icon, George Carlin. Uh, It's a two-part series about George Carlin, his life, the impact he had on comedy, and just his social commentary and using humor to kind of touch on really strong social topics. Uh, Incredible documentary done by HBO. Uh, the Life and Times of George Carlin. Uh, part one uh, was Friday, and I believe part two came out on the Saturday. If you haven't seen it, it's a must-watch. Check it out. George Carlin, HBO Doc. It's a must-watch. Uh, that dude's uh, that dude is a legend, man. Uh, highly, highly want to watch that as well. I actually, before I get into mine, I watched uh, um, the Letterman show with uh, Dave Chappelle. Uh, he had Dave Chappelle on as a guest, and that was also excellent um for me i want to talk a little bit about a concert that i went to the other night uh, duran jones and the indications down at the commodore uh this guy i've listened to this guy for quite a few years and one of those ones i was like oh should i go should i it's a tuesday night i uh, went down checked it out first of all i was surprised how many people actually heard of this guy uh, the place was pretty packed um and he was awesome and the band was awesome it was him with a five-person band the indications and uh uh they just ripped it they played all everything you wanted to hear it was an awesome show and uh they started when they came up for the encore they did a cover of don't let me down by the beatles to start things off um really recommend if you haven't checked them out before private space is a fantastic album probably be using one of their songs on the outro for one of our episodes coming up as well so you'll hear it one way or another but yeah duran jones killer show recommended Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 114, just about in the books. Uh, It felt good to be back. A little bit rusty at times, but uh, good to be back after a couple weeks off. Uh, And Doug, we uh, around the sporting world, a couple things I know we want to touch on in the outro here. NBA playoffs, uh, down to the final four. Yeah, I mean, the NBA playoffs have been very entertaining. Obviously, I was hoping the Memphis Grizzlies got through. They didn't. No surprise, though, Golden State Warriors have just been awesome. Steph Curry is still an incredible player. Uh, They got a 3-0 lead against the Dallas Mavericks, who I think shocked the world by beating the Phoenix Suns, who everyone thought was probably going to win the championship this year, so that's a bit of a shocker. And then Matthew Kachuk's really good friend, Jason Tatum. He plays for the Boston Celtics. He's the young superstar for the Boston Celtics. Him and Matthew Kachuk went to school together. Um... So they're really good friends, and it's good to see uh, the Boston and Miami series. That's going back and forth. Both those teams are getting riddled by the injury bug. But, yeah, playoff basketball has been great. Has been surprising. I thought the Suns were uh, were going to get through as well. Uh, but, you know, I kind of blinked for a week or so there, and I was like, oh, geez, these are the final four teams. And, yeah, I watched the game last night, the Dallas-Golden State game, and Golden State was just uh, in charge for, for a lot of this. Great, great to see Andrew Wiggins doing well as well. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like a renaissance for his career going to Golden State and just, you know, we talk about it's it's a bad cliche at times, but this cliche of culture with an organization and the winning culture that the Golden State Warriors have produced over the past seven, eight years with all the championships and NBA finals they've made it to, and it just rubs off. And Steve Kerr is one hell of a coach as well, and I think that has also rubbed off on Andrew Wiggins. And, yeah, like you said, it's it's nice to see him having success, even though it's not in a you know star role per se. Um, it's just nice to see him having success. 
He had a monster dunk last night as well. He got, a, got himself on a poster somewhere. Uh, also this week, we saw the Premier League come down to its final games to decide it. And, man, I had uh, the four, four games open on the split screen uh, just to kind of see what was going on. But it really came down to it. Jeez, when City was down 2-0 and Arsenal, or sorry, Arsenal, Liverpool was in a draw. I was like, geez, like, this is getting interesting. But uh, it was couple of couple of incredible plays in a six minute period turn the tide in for city and uh they end up winning the title for the fourth time in five years but you know the ladder system is uh is a different way from what we're used to in north american sports uh it's um uh, it, it is cool though at the whole relegation promotion thing and hey sunderland got promoted this year I've, uh, that's uh, that's another one i'm i was quite happy to see he's good for sunderland they've been toiling uh, around it for a while but man it was it was quite the quite the final day of the season in the, the premier league and i wish i could say congrats to man city but uh they, they <laughs> Yeah, cities just seem to have a switch where they turned it on after being down 2-0 and just, you know, that switch flipped and then they were game on. It was it was incredible to watch. Uh, and then Sunderland, wasn't there Sunderland Till I Die? Wasn't that a documentary yeah. on Netflix or something like that? So that's cool. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was nice to see. Uh, uh, it was nice to see. And I mean, they're not in uh, uh, the, the Premier League, uh, I believe, but I, I can never remember. Like, they always, like, all the different leagues, like, the names always kind of confuse me, but I believe they're now back in the league below the Premier League. So, uh, hey, good for that. You can follow us online. I'm at Pete underscore gas and do give the playlist a follow as well. Kind of speakeasy outro playlist that is on Spotify. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canuck Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.